0: Dr. Balikai here. This podcast is on radiation-associated coronary artery disease. It's derived from multiple sources, but an important reference is a publication by the Jack Scientific Expert Panel in August 2019 issue of uh, Journal of the American College of Cardiology. It's titled Prevention, Diagnosis, and Management of Radiation-Associated Cardiac Disease. Lead author on this expert panel is Dr. Milan Desai, MD. Radiotherapy is commonly used in the therapy of malignancies involving the thorax. It's used as an adjunct to surgery and chemotherapy in lymphomas and thoracic malignancies. First described in the mid 1960s. Radiation-associated heart disease is often often missed and under-recognized and is associated with considerable morbidity and mortality. The five main manifestations of radiation-associated heart disease are involvement of the epicardial and endocardial coronary vessels resulting in coronary obstruction. The second is involvement of the semilunar and atrioventricular valves resulting in valvular stenosis or regurgitation due to valvular fibrosis. The third is involvement of the myocardium resulting in cardiomyopathy, particularly restrictive cardiomyopathy. The fourth is conduction system abnormalities resulting in conduction abnormalities. And the fifth is pericardial involvement resulting in pericardial constriction and inflammation. In this podcast, we will limit our discussion to radiation-associated cardiac disease. Radiotherapy has been utilized to manage Hodgkin's lymphoma, breast cancer and lung cancer and have included thoracic radiation therapy. This results in exposure of cardiac tissues to radiation. Most of our understanding of radiation on cardiac structures comes from these patient populations over the last 50 years. Hodgkin's lymphoma is among one of the most common cancers in young adults with an estimated incidence of 3 per 100,000 adults and has reported a 10-year survival rate, upwards of 80%. The cumulative incidence of radiation-associated coronary artery disease is estimated to be nearly 60% in survivors of lymphoma 40 years after radiation exposure, with a relative risk of 3.2-fold compared with the general population. Similarly, the risk of mortality for myocardial infarction is estimated to be at least doubled an odds ratio of 2.5 with a confidence interval of 2.1 to 2.9. High dose that is greater than 40 gray extended field radiotherapy has played a central role in the curative therapy of lymphoma since the 1960s. One common approach for supra-diaphragmatic disease was to ir- irradiate a mantle field using the anterior posterior or the posterior-anterior technique with tissues including the heart receiving a dose of about 30 to 40 gray. Given that the patients were much younger, they survived for many decades after therapy and giving them enough time to, to manifest with radiation associated heart disease. Fortunately, the therapeutic approach has changed and more recent patients are not exposed to to this heavy dose and type of radiation. For patients who receive radiotherapy and chemotherapy extended field is no longer used and radiotherapy has evolved to involve smaller fields. For example, the the involved field, the involved site, and the involved node. However, these techniques still require radiating sites of pre-chemotherapy disease. A recent approach has been the concept of irradiating only sites of residual abnormalities after chemotherapy has emerged. Through successive clinical trials the prescription of radiotherapy dose has been lowered from over 40 gray to 20 to 30 gray depending on risk factors. In addition advanced delivery techniques like deep inspiratory breath And proton therapy have been used in select cases to further reduce the burden of radiotherapy to the heart. Deep inspiratory breathing technique pulls the heart inferiorly and allows treatment of upper mediastinum with less cardiac exposure. Because protons can stop at a finite distance, normal tissue distal to the target is avoided. All these modifications have reduced the burden of dose of radiotherapy in many patients close to zero with almost no risk of radiation associated heart disease. However, despite modern planning In some patients, especially those with lower mediastinal disease, they can still be significant cardiac exposure with mean heart doses greater than 10 gray. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women with a 12.5% lifetime risk in the general population. Early stage breast cancer therapy involves breast conservation surgery and adjuvant new adjuvant radiation therapy and confers a 95% five year survival rate meta analyses have shown that relative risk of de- developing radiation induced coronary artery disease in patients with breast cancer receiving left versus right chest radiotherapy is higher the largest trial evaluating the impact of radiotherapy in patients with breast cancer showed an increase in non cancer related mortality among those treated with radiation therapy, primarily due to vascular cause of death, odds ratio was 1.3 with a p value less than 0.001. therapy is used after lumpectomy for most patients treated with breast conservation therapy because it improves survival. Typically tangential fields are used for breast conservation, historically extended from the midline to the mid-axillary line. For left-sided lesions, the tangent fields often included a small portion of the left heart and the left anterior descending artery leading to cardiac events. As a result, past data has shown that patients who received radiation at higher rates of radiation is associated with cardiac disease versus those who did not. A systematic review of total hot doses delivered from 2014 to 2017 was down to 3.6 versus 5.4 gray from 2003 to 2013. This was published by Drost et al. in Clinical Breast Cancer 2018, Volume 18, E18. 19 to 24 at centers with the experienced radiation oncologists it's exceedingly rare to have the mean heart dose of greater than one gray when treating the left breast without any nodal involvement only rare patients with challenging anat- anatomy that is tumor beds in the middle part of the breast and with the heart hugging the chest wall will have a mean, dose to the heart of greater than one gray, despite the deep inspiratory breath holding technique. For patients with higher risk and or advanced disease, in addition to breast or chest wall, the regional lymph nodes of often require adjunct radiation, either after lumpectomy or mastectomy. The lymph node region that is the most challenging to treat is the internal mammary lymph node chain radiation oncologists have used a variety of techniques to treat internal mammary lymph node chain because of their location. It's unavoidable that cardiac exposure increases. Despite evidence that internal mammary lymph node radiotherapy was beneficial, most radiation oncologists in the 2000s were not delivering internal mammary lymph node chain radiotherapy because of concerns of toxicity to the heart. However, recent data has shown that even patients with relatively early stage breast cancer benefit from regional node irradiation and irradiation to the internal mammary lymph node is increasing. Multiple techniques have been developed to limit cardiac exposure with significant reduction in the dose over the past few decades. Current techniques are a deep inspiratory breath-holding technique, three-dimensional conformational radiation with heart blocking and prone positioning. Intensity modulated radiation or arc therapy uses more beams than three-dimensional approach and improves high-dose conformality while preserving target coverage. Finally, proton therapy can further limit cardiac exposure in breast cancer patients. Dosimetric studies have shown the proton therapy can significantly reduce heart exposure versus photon therapy. The benefits of proton is most meaningful when, when the internal mammary node chain is included in target volume. Encouraging early outcomes with proton therapy have demonstrated similar acute toxicity, local control, and very low mean heart doses. Few left side cases with internal memory node radiotherapy, the mean heart dose with proton therapy is typically around 1 gray versus 4 to 5 gray with photon therapy. Based on this, a phase three national randomized trial, the RADCOM trial, that is radiotherapy comparative effectiveness to determine whether proton therapy can reduce the rate of 10 year major cardiac events by 40% is ongoing. Lung cancer. As the population of patients receiving radiotherapy for lung cancer is older, with multiple cardiovascular risk factors, the emphasis is to intensify therapy to improve survival. However, one meta-analysis has reported worse survival in patients receiving radiotherapy versus surgery alone. This is by the Port Meta-Analysis Trialist Group. In an article titled, post Radiotherapy in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Individual Patient Data from 9 randomized controlled trials, published in the Lancet, 1998, volume 352, pages 257 to 263. For several years, three-dimensional conformational radiation was the standard approach for lung radiotherapy with significant portions of the heart receiving 60 gray, mean 30 to 40 gray. Given the interest in reducing the burden of radiation-induced cardiac disease, after reports of a worse overall survival, that is 28.7 months, the high dose versus the standard arm, where the survival was 21.7 months, in whom the volume of heart, the heart receiving greater than 35 gray independently predicted poor survival. Phase 2 trials have shown improved survival using proton therapy and chemotherapy compared with photon therapy. Based on this, a phase three randomized trial comparing photon therapy to proton therapy to treat patients with lung cancer, comparing proton versus photon therapy in patients receiving definitive chemo radiation for stages 2 to 3 non-small cell lung cancer is currently ongoing. In addition, target volumes vary greatly based on tumor location, in a patient with upper lobe primary tumor and upper paratracheal lymph nodes, cardiac exposure is close to zero versus a patient with the left lower lobe tumor and subcranial lymph node involvement who received more than 50 gray. Thus, when estimating a patient's cardiac risk, it is important to review the actual treatment plan. This factors for radiation-associated Coronary artery disease, including one, age at exposure, two, total radiation dose, three, volume of tissue exposed, and four, lack of cardiac shielding techniques. Age at exposure to radiation therapy is inversely associated with the risk of developing radiation associated coronary artery disease with younger patients at age less than 25 years, considered to be the highest risk group in patients with Hod- Hodgkin's lymphoma. Radiation dose has been directly associated with the risk of developing radiation-associated coronary artery disease. Although no universally safe threshold has been identified, likely due to patient comorbidity and anatomic heterogeneity. It is generally accepted that the cumulative exposure of greater than 30 gray results in increased risk of radiation-associated coronary artery disease. Mantle radiation and extended field mantle radiation were the standard of care for several decades for Hodgkin's lymphoma or breast cancer, with radiation exposures significantly higher than 30 gray. A study of 2,168 women undergoing radiation therapy for breast cancer in Sweden and Denmark between 1958 and 2001 demonstrated a linear increase in the rates of major coronary events at a rate of 7.4% per gray with the mean dose to the whole heart of 4.9 gray. Whole breast radiation versus partial breast irradiation have shown to result in significantly lower radiation doses to the left anterior descending artery. Mean 2.13 gray versus 1.02 with right-sided partial breast radiation resulting in minimal exposure. The development of newer techniques to shield the heart such as multi-leaf collimator modification technique has been successfully utilized to reduce exposure of the coronary arteries to radiation therapy. The American Society of Clinical Oncology guidelines recommend deep inspiration breath holding and intensity modulated radiation therapy as two techniques that should be used to minimize total radiation dose to the heart. The pathophysiology of radiation induced coronary artery disease is remarkably complex and not well understood. Radiation exposure is thought to cause both microvascular and macrovascular damage to the coronary arteries. Endothelial damage within the coronary arteries results in significant change in the inflammatory and vasoactive substance milieu. Increased pro-inflammatory cytokines including interleukin-6, C-reactive protein, tumor necrosis factor alpha and interferon gamma, ESR, IgG and IgA along with higher levels of chemoattractants adherence of inflammatory cells to the endothelium have been observed in vasculature which has been irradiated. A loss of endothelium derived vasodilators including nitric oxide along with increased prothrombotic factors such as thrombomodulin results in a prothrombotic vasoconstrictive state. The alteration of vascular hemostasis results in markedly increased microvascular fibrosis resulting in myocardial ischemia. In macrovasculature, diffuse fibrosis of all layers of the arterial wall has been demonstrated. Plaque formation in radiation-induced coronary artery disease is thought to mimic spontaneous atherosclerosis. However, the plaques tend to be long, smooth, and more fibrotic, with lower lipid burden and often associated with intimal hyperplasia. Diffuse vascular fibrosis as a result of radiation combined with traditional risk factors for atherosclerosis such as smoking, dyslipidemia, diabetes and hypertension results in accelerated development of obstructive coronary artery disease in this patient population. The diagnosis of radiation associated coronary artery disease can be challenging because the symptoms in this patient population is very heterogeneous in women and the elderly who often present with atypical symptoms. The majority of the patients however present with more traditional symptoms of coronary artery obstruction, that is, shortness of breath and exertion, angina or heart failure. It can be challenging to pinpoint the etiology of chest pain because it can be caused by radiation effects on the pericardium, the pleura, the chest wall, or rarely the spinal cord as well. And shortness of breath can often be due to radiation-induced lung disease or valvular heart disease. The temporal delay often extending decades between exposure to radiation and development of obstructive coronary artery disease means a high index of suspicion needs to be maintained for timely and accurate diagnosis, particularly in patients without traditional risk factors for coronary atherosclerosis. There are no unique EKG findings specific to radiation associated coronary artery disease. The utility of biomarker testing during ongoing radiation therapy to detect myocardial injury has shown mixed results. And traditional biomarkers, such as cardiac troponin T or cardiac troponin I and creatinine kinase myocardial band could be used to identify acute coronary syndromes in this patient population. The approach to ischemic evaluation when radiation associated coronary artery disease is suspected is not dissimilar to that in the general population, and this includes stress testing via echocardiography, myocardial perfusion imaging or definitive anatomic evaluation with coronary angiography depending on the presenting symptoms. Stress perfusion imaging in survivors of breast cancer treated with radiation therapy is reported to have shown mild perfusion defects in up to 42% of the women and up to 60% of the women with greater than 5% of the left ventricle within the radiation treatment field. Given the paucity of large studies and limited follow-up of these patients, the long-term implications of these findings remain unclear. Stress echocardiography has not been specifically studied in this population, but there is no reason to suspect a degradation in sensitivity or specificity compared with the general population and it provides a radiation-free mode of stress imaging. Currently, there is insufficient evidence to guide ischemic evaluation in asymptomatic patients and there is minimal evidence to guide modality or interval of such screening at present. Nevertheless, when coronary ischemia is suspected based on non-invasive testing, coronary angiography should be pursued to determine coronary anatomy. Radiation-associated coronary artery disease typically affects the ostea or proximal coronary arteries. However, the proximal right coronary artery, the mid-left anterior descending coronary artery, and the mid-diagonal branches are particularly involved among patients with breast cancer and left-sided radiotherapy. The predilection for the osteo left main and the right coronary artery likely relate to the coronary artery position within the anterior radiation field and perhaps a greater propensity for intimal proliferation. The anterior radiation field is exposed to higher doses of radiation compared with the more peripheral, lateral or posterior areas. The lesions tend to be longer, tubular and concentric and are often non-calcific. Myocardial ischemia can compound concurrent myocardial dysfunction. The risk of myocardial infarction proportionately increases with duration from radiation exposure and is highest in those who receive therapy when below the age of 20 years. Microvascular disease is less well established Although it appears to contribute to myocardial dysfunction via ischemia and resultant fibrosis, large vessel vasculopathy often involves the thoracic aorta and aortic arch branch vessels, manifesting as atherosclerotic disease. Although regional thrombosis leading to vessel exclusion or embolic stroke can occur, this may preclude percutaneous intervention or surgical access because of the porcelain aorta. Compared with the general population in this group of patients, the relative risk of death for myocardial infarction is estimated to be a double odds ratio 2.5, confidence interval 2.1 to 2.9 and the need for revascularization via percutaneous approach or coronary bypass surgery has been estimated to occur at rates Of 3.2 fold and 1.6 fold, respectively. Investigation of borderline lesions by angiography can be performed by IVIS, that is, intravascular ultrasound, fractional flow reserve, or instantaneous wave free ratio, similar to that done in the general population. IVIS findings can vary, ranging from heavy calcification to significant neointimal hyperplasia and IVIS can be particularly useful to assess for negative remodeling that is known to occur in these patients. Therefore the optimal management of radiation associated coronary artery disease requires a multifaceted approach addressing traditional risk factors by means of lifestyle modification and pharmacologic therapy. As well as careful planning of any percutaneous or surgical revascularization. Tailored therapy utilizing several members of the heart team is vital in this patient population. PCI, percutaneous coronary intervention, outcomes in patients with radiation associated coronary artery disease have shown to be worse. Then propensity match patients with coronary disease with radiation exposure independently associated with higher all-cause. Independent predictors of increased all-cause mortality include percutaneous balloon angioplasty or bare metal stent use, a syntax score equal to or greater than 11, a New York Heart Association functional class equal to or greater than 3, a history of smoking, and an age equal to or greater than 65 years. This was reported by Reed et al. In Cirque cardiovascular intervention, 2016, Volume 9, E003483, entitled Long-term mortality in patients with radiation-associated coronary artery disease treated with percutaneous coronary artery intervention. Other studies have shown no difference in cardiovascular mortality or target lesion revascularization rates between patients treated with radiation therapy for malignancy before or after coronary stenting compared with general population. Highlighting the comparable durability of PCI in radiation associated coronary artery disease. This was published in Jack cardiovascular intervention, 2014, volume seven pages 14, 12 to 20. The lead author is Liang J.J. And the article was titled, Outcomes after percutaneous coronary intervention with stents in patients treated with thoracic external beam radiation for cancer. Although patients with isolated one vessel or two vessel coronary artery disease preferentially undergo percutaneous coronary intervention, selection of patients with multi-vessel coronary artery disease is more nuanced and depends on the extent of coronary artery disease, the Syntax score, associated diabetes mellitus and the presence of left main disease. Coronary artery bypass grafting in radiation associated coronary artery disease is known to have worse outcomes compared with the general population. Mortality rates after any cardiac surgery are considerably higher regardless of the type of surgery, 45 versus 72%, p-value 0.001 at 7.6 years of follow-up, a finding thought to be driven by cardiovascular mortality. This was published in the article authored by Wu et al. in Circulation 2013, volume 127, pages 1476 to 1485. The article was titled, Long-term survival of patients with radiation heart disease undergoing cardiac surgery, a cohort study. Further evaluation in this study showed that in patients undergoing isolated coronary artery bypass grafting, mortality was significantly different 46 versus 28% and radiation heart disease, an increasing EuroScore greater than 8 were associated with outcomes on multivariable analysis. Although left internal mammary artery patency rates in patients undergoing cabbage post-radiation exposure are lower than general population, outcomes remain better when the left internal mammary artery is chosen for bypass of the left anterior descending artery. Concerns have been raised regarding increased risk of sternal dehiscence and infections due to poor wound healing due to radiation exposure compared with general population. This was published by Chang et al. in Journal of Thoracic Cardiovascular Surgery 2007, volume 133, pages 404 to 13. In an article titled, Cardiac surgery after media radiation, extent of exposure influences outcome. Therefore, it is important to consider risk of sternal wound complications, particularly in frail patients or those with significant deformation of the sternum and chest wall due to underlying lung and chest wall fibrotic changes. In addition, the decision between PCI and coronary artery bypass grafting should give priority to the ability to achieve complete revascularization and treatment of concomitant valvular lesions taking into account pulmonary status and porcelain aorta. Specifically, multivessel coronary artery disease without valvular disease with a Syntax score less than 22 should be preferentially treated by PCI. Similarly, left main disease at the ostium and shaft as well as left main disease with Syntax score greater than 32 should be considered for PCI if technically feasible. In patients with radiation-induced heart disease presenting with NSTEMI, the timing of intervention should follow initial risk stratification with an invasive strategy recommended within two hours among very high-risk patients, within 24 hours among high-risk patients, and within 72 hours among intermediate risk patients. Patients with radiation associated coronary disease presenting with acute coronary syndromes are preferentially managed by PCI of the culprit lesion. In patients presenting with STEMI, primarily PCI constitutes the therapy of choice. Because radiation exposure damages heart valves, coronary arteries, pericardium and conduction tissues, a detailed and thorough evaluation for concurrent pathology is vital via an expert heart team approach prior to any attempts to revascularization. For patients with symptomatic obstructive coronary artery disease in the absence of severe valvular or pericardial disease, percutaneous options with acceptable anticipated outcomes should be first pursued. Over time if the valvular or pericardial heart disease progresses to the point of requiring intervention, sternotomy can be pursued if no percutaneous valvular interventions are feasible. The strategy of utilizing sternotomy and surgical intervention as a final option is especially important in this patient population because outcomes in patients undergoing redo cardiac surgery for any cause are known to be far worse in the setting of previous radiation exposure compared with the general population. A surgical approach of fix everything in one sitting should be adopted in this patient population and consideration should be given to repair or replacement of moderately dysfunctional valves if cardiac surgery is being pursued for any reason. It must be remembered that proximal coronary artery disease may be underappreciated in this population, especially if austere in location. Hence, there should be a low threshold for utilizing intravascular ultrasound, particularly in the setting of pressure damping or contrast reflux. In this population, drug eluding stents should be the default device compared with bare metal stents. Drug eluting stents have been shown to be superior in terms of efficacy, that is, re stenosis rates, targeted lesion revascularization, and major cardiac events, and at least as safe. More recent evidence in patients with multivessel and left main coronary artery disease indicates substantial improvements in terms of efficacy compared with previous trials comparing coronary artery bypass and bare metal stent. When consideration for vascular access, the radial approach should be preferred analogous to patients without radiation-associated coronary artery disease. However, it depends on the operator's experience and technical feasibility. Specifically, in the setting of patients with radiation-associated coronary disease, ostial disease of the right coronary artery or left main may be more challenging in terms of guiding catheter selection and position ideally intracoronary imaging may be considered to guide and optimize treatment of patients with radiation associated cardiac disease undergoing pci radiation associated coronary artery disease is under recognized and associated with high risk of morbidity and mortality timely diagnosis requires a high index of suspicion because the presentation can be separated from radiation exposure by de- decades and symptoms at presentation can often be considered atypical for coronary obstruction at, in certain subsets. A thorough evaluation of myocardial, valvular and pericardial pathology due to radiation should be f- performed in all patients prior to pursuing PCI or cabbage in this population. Although the all cause mortality in this patient population is worse than the general population, irrespective of modality of revascularization, these patients should undergo complete revascularization, preferably with percutaneous options utilized first and reservation of surgical management as a backup if percutaneous options are unfeasible, inappropriate, or exhausted. This podcast. We derive from several sources, including one by authored by Neil Borges, MD, and Dr. Samir Kapadia, MD, FACC, on acc.org, titled "Radiation-Induced Coronary Artery Disease: Incidence, Diagnosis, and Management Outcomes," published on May twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, and from the Jack Expert Scientific Panel. Uh, paper titled, Prevention, Diagnosis and Management of Radiation-Associated Cardiac Disease, published in August 2019, JAK, authored by Dr. Milan Desai, Stephen Windecker et al.